other stuff. Don't panic. Don't panic. I'm panicking <laughs> right now. <laughs> no. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you. Not planned out today at all. We are free-flowing. It's going to be really good now. While I am panicking, y'all shouldn't be. Like the show. Subscribe <laughs> to the channel. Hit the notification bell. Do all that good stuff. Get your emails whenever we uh, shoot this up. Because uh, we're not live anymore. So now we're here. I don't have any plan i don't have anything to say other than that let's kick this off how was your guys's new year's sean how about yourself it was good we did our usual shtick uh the whole family was here and we just kind of hung out down in our basement and watched uh movies we decided this year to go with lord of the rings the trilogy mm. which we never finish because mm. the first two are so freaking long and and we chose the extended version so the second movie extended version is four hours long so um we made it to midnight with lord of the rings almost finishing up the second movie and as per usual we looked at each other and said man how come we never get to watch the third movie because it's freaking a long series so uh, like most years we still haven't watched the third movie for the trilogy and just sat around and ate popcorn and all the usual stuff hung out together yeah those are you needed like that's an all-day affair like to get through all three extended versions of Lord of the Rings is that's 12 hour, almost 12 hours worth of movies. Like it's uh, and bathroom breaks and all the other stuff. Seb, what was your night like? Yeah, that's 19 bathroom breaks for anybody that's like me. <laughs> and Sean, I'm surprised at your age. I would think you would want to, you know, squeeze in sh shorter movies, more of them. <laughs> Dude, electrolyte. I just go hard on the electrolytes to retain it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, for me, it was uh, it, it, kind of business as usual as well. Um, I, for the last decade, I'm, I've been in bed at 9, 30, 10, watching TV by myself. This is, or with the girlfriend or whatever the case may be. In this case, of course, Alex. And um, and it was it was no different this year. So we did a little family thing before. We went to our brother's place with the kids for a little bit. And then we stayed there for about two hours, which is where my uh, people skills start dwindling. And we <laughs> we exfilled out of there, went back home, and I we just laid there and watched some motivational videos on on uh, on YouTube and had some great conversations. And that's essentially what happened. Nice, real chill, Trav. What was your name? Love it, Seb. You do the fade. You can recognize when the uh, you've peaked. Time to go. They get the best of me. I love it. Um, Nine thirty is about when I went to bed. I don't do the New Year's Eve thing. I don't go out and go crazy. Um, was up around two thirty, and I think that was uh, started a bit of a conversation here in the green room, which I'm interested to uh, to plug away at. Uh, it was a good day. I. I uh, went out flying, buddy of mine bought an airplane and just got himself licensed. So I was his very first guinea pig and uh, very first <laughs> passenger in an airplane with his brand new license. And he did good. We didn't crash. So that's all, all good. Um, but yeah, 930 in bed, up around 230. I've been doing that for months now. And I was saying to Seb earlier, I was like, well, what is this? Am I getting older? Like, is this a normal thing? And man, you had some crazy insight. I want to hear more on <laughs> Let's do it, Seb. Hit it. Yeah, man. I mean, there's and and again, I'm not a, a subject matter expert in this in this domain, but I, I have done a lot of research because just like Travis, I've been waking up at 2 30 for probably God four months at least. And and we're talking very strangely, not not laying there and and slowly waking up and being groggy or anything like that. I'm talking about being completely asleep and go. 
ready to take on the world, you know, like as if done. Yep. And, and, and I, and I'm, I'm literally capable or I would be capable because I generally don't, but you know, to go downstairs and do work and go train and do all those things. Like I'm a hundred percent refreshed. Now that you might think, well, if you go to bed at eight, that's what you might expect, but I don't, I go to bed around 10 at the very minimum, but sometimes at 12. And even if I fall asleep at one at two 30, I'm up just like that. And it is the weirdest thing. Now this happened to me a couple of years ago, probably, probably seven or eight years ago. <clears throat> and, um, and it was two 30 as well. And so I'm making some connections here. So I was uh, doing a bit of research and it, depending where you look, obviously, if you have a bit of knowledge about it, you might be cognitively biased and you might find what you want to see. But I just kind of looked at it without knowing what any of this entailed. And, you know, I found a very interesting um, old calendar that speaks to at what time certain condition will wake you up at. So when I say condition, I mean, if, if say, for example, liver. Was it liver? what's that? Was it the liver? Yes, exactly. Yes, <clears throat> good, good, good man. So, so basically, one of those uh, is speaking to you know where you store your stress, and depending what type of stress you are you you're experiencing, it's it's being stored in different areas of your body. And we know this being uh, through scientific research, as far as like women, you know, keeping their stress their stress in the upper chest and lung area, which which often will translate into lung cancer or breast cancer later down the you know the line um, and and there's there's all kinds of there's all kinds of really interesting stuff that's actually scientifically proven but none of this is i have extensive knowledge in but suffice to say that there that we do store stress in different areas of our bodies and uh and if you have a certain type of stress then it's the liver uh, for example between two o'clock and three o'clock if so if you if you wake up during that time frame it's believed that you're you're experiencing a certain type of stress that leads to that. And there's several reasons for that. And if I look at the type of stress that I'm experiencing at the moment, and if I can, if I compare it to the type of stress I was experiencing at the time, they both are very in line. And so it seems as though that this is probably exactly what it is as far as, as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and the fact that I'm ready to work and do certain things to me is, is essentially my way of dealing with anxiety and stress, which is to go into exploration and to, to turn and face the storm. And so that would make sense that I wake up and I'm, you know, sort of ready to engage with, with the day and, and get moving and explore. Interesting. Sean, what are you thinking on this? Well, I had the exact same thing a few years ago. And so I was the zero two thirty guy and pop up straight, just like you. And uh, I did my research as well. And that's why I know it's liver, or that's why I'm proposing it's, there's a high probability it's mm -hmm. liver. And so um, there's a bunch of things that you can do to kind of address that and, you know, reducing your stress, reducing all the things, making your life more awesome and all of that good stuff. And it will maybe sort it out. But what I had to do was uh, go to a, a Chinese medicine acupuncturist, which I've been going to for, in fact, I just mentioned it in my live podcast there the other day on IG that I was heading down to see my acupuncturist who I see twice per month. And uh, so since, I don't know, maybe, well, since I left tier one, since I got out of the military, I've been trying to figure a whole bunch of things out uh, to include why zero two thirty, 
So I'd, I'd go to various acupuncturists throughout the years. And one of the first things that they would always say to me is, oh, your liver. Mm-hmm. Always my liver, man. Always my liver. And I've probably seen plus easily over 20 acupuncturists in my life. And they, whether they ask me a lot of questions beforehand or whether they ask me zero questions beforehand, the moment they feel my pulse, the moment they look at my tongue or look at my eye or, you know, whatever they do to read my energetic state is immaterial. One of the first things they say is liver. And so uh, they might get to work on me a little bit or it might be a, a lot depending on where I live in the world at the time. But here in Rosalind, I've been seeing my acupuncturist for again at least five years. And um, that's what she works on mostly is uh, my... I've got to uh, hang on a sec. Oh, geez, I don't have it here with me. Um, I do have some um, pills and they are Chinese medicine pills. I'll call it loosely. But what it is is a bunch of herbs. And um, of course, you can grab a precise, not a supplement, but a precise concoction or a number of different herbs stacked up. And I'll try to look for it while uh, uh, while I'm not talking and uh, show you what I'm talking about. And uh, that product helped kind of calm down, we'll call it the fire in my liver. And so um, you can have kind of a depressed liver or an anxious liver or a hot or a cold or a wet or a dry. There's all these various indicators of how you can be sort of out of balance specifically with liver. And so there's concoctions you can take or there's needle patterns that will help reduce this sort of uh, impact. And so I used to work, wake up at 0230 hours. Now I don't wake up at 0230 hours. And that took a combination of her working on my, um, we'll call it my uh, energy meridians and uh, the concoction that uh, she uh, scaled up for me that I took that kind of happened happened to wipe away that zero two thirty thing. When are you waking up now? Uh, I wake up uh, at a kind of a, I, I was going to call it a regular time or a normal time, but right now I'm waking up still a bit jet lag time, uh, mm. believe it or not, mm. from uh, coming back from yeah. Asia. But uh, typically I'll wake up around, well, I'll wake up when I wake up. So I don't need to set alarms anymore and I don't have to um, be in bed by a certain time. So I'll, I'll go as late as I want on whatever I'm working on. Mm. And then when I'm tired, when I feel my body is ready to hit the sack, then I go hit the sack. And then I don't set an alarm unless I've got timings to meet. And I'll wake up naturally whenever I wake mm. up. And then, you know, I'll get on with my day. So I'm try, I try to let my natural body do what it wants to do unless I've got timings to meet. That's interesting. Trev, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I got so many questions. So, um, so I, I mean, it's been months waking up. It's uh, started off around zero uh, three thirty. That was when I was waking up almost every day on the on the number. Uh, then around zero two thirty, and like Seb saying, I'm awake, I'm good to go, and I either a don't go back to sleep, I'll just go out and I'm productive, or b if I do get back to sleep, I'll have a restful sleep, but. I, why, why do I have that broken period in there? So if it's a liver thing or we're storing stress, question would be, 
Uh, why? Why is being stored in the liver? Uh, why does your body store stress in different places? How do you empty that aside mm -hmm. from like the obvious of exercise and mindfulness and all of these other things? Because clearly trying those things, I'm still getting up. Um, and then, you know, we were talking before about um, uh, binaural, binaural beats, certain frequencies, 432 hertz. Uh, I haven't played around with that much. I'm interested to know if that's been a, uh, a successful tool in something that you've used Seb, or if it's just something you're exploring at the moment. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I've, so how this all came about, I think setting the tone a bit for that conversation is, is, is critical, but so I went to a sound bath and I had done breath work before psychedelic breath work. And I did breath work in the context of a sound bath, which, you know, uses instrument that create frequency and i think that instruments that is because there's various frequencies used during a sound bath but i think suffice to say that without getting too deep into this every being or everything that's material is made of atom atom right or atom or how do you call it? how do you say that word atoms atoms yeah that's right that's right sorry uh, french and me so it, that's a really difficult word to say it by the way for an esl um so those things are vibrating they're 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 vibrating and everything vibrates we're all made of these things that vibrates incessantly and when something is in tune with the vibration it makes it better when something is out of tune with the vibration it, it actually interferes with with the process and so there are various vibrations that are very well known to be in tune with the earth's vibration and i can't remember what it is 7.3 or 8 or 4 something like that a, a multiple a multiple of four i believe and then along the way, as you go up in the in the Hertz frequencies, you have various benefits for various vibrations. And this isn't a sort of wazoo kind of crazy, you know, far fetched scenario. This is this is they, they, so uh, the University of where was it? Not Australia. One of the European university, I, I'll find it's either Germany or, or somebody else wants to look it up, has done a, a research project and two massive baseline of individuals in three different rooms, one in a 432 Earths, one in a 440 Earths, which is typically known as being out of, out of sync with human vibrations and another one that's kind of like neutral so you have the 432 hertz which is very beneficial to humans the 440 which is you know out of tune and then the other one that's neutral and they were able to corroborate that without knowing which room they were in all the people in the 432 rooms felt a, set, a certain way they felt much better than everybody else they, they 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 reacted to cognitive testing better than everybody else and anyway all of those things and so so we know we know that that is a thing and 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 thankfully everything with the in the age of information we can pretty much reach into reach and find anything we want so i started doing some some youtube research just to find a frequency and they're associated with black screens so you get the frequency that you want to try and it, it there's a description of it so this is you know uh, promotes healing or promotes uh, you know mindfulness or promotes deep thoughts or lucid dreams and if you do not believe this just try it you will see how crazy it is the lucid dream dreams one just i've i've been having some crazy dreams but not just me alex my girlfriend exactly the same so we wake up and we we 
essentially tell stories of the lucid dreams we've gotten. She wasn't aware of which, which frequency I selected. I selected the lucid dream frequency without telling her to see if there was any, any, anything that could come out of that. She never remembers her dream. But that night, those nights that I picked up the, the frequencies, every morning she's had some lucid dreams. Now, funny story, a couple nights ago, I was blasting the lucid dream one and my dog went crazy. So it was having dreams. You know how dogs are having dreams and they're, 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 they're making these little noises and you know, you know they're dreaming. He was all out fighting in there. Like, I don't know what he was doing in there, but I tried to record him. And of course, he stopped doing it as soon as I pressed the record <laughs> button. <laughs> but it's kind of like that frog in, uh, in the, the cartoons, you know, mm. <clears throat> and the singing frogs. Yeah. So anyways, so what happened was Achilles, my dog, was going nuts in his crate. He, and he was sleeping. He was dead sleeping, but he was just obviously having some very intense lucid dreams. So I'm assuming that, you know, he, he, he reacted as well. But so what I can say to this is, is this, it hasn't kept me asleep past the 2.30 mark. I still wake up at the 2.30 mark, but historically I haven't been going back to bed after I wake up. I, I just mm. incapable of with the vibration I have every single time so far. So every single time so far, I was able to go back to bed and, and fall asleep deeply get into realm, do all of this stuff. And if I don't put an alarm on, I can sleep until eight or nine, which is unheard of for me. I've never done that in my adult life. And so, so I've been playing with a lot of these, a lot of these things right now to try to figure out how I can tweak, but there's more to it. There's healing frequencies, there's all kinds of stuff. So imagine, you know, we are, we're always talking about mental health for men, but we hardly ever talk about physical health for men. Men are horrible at taking care of their physical health as far as like, you know, doing doing certain things preemptively or even seeing the doctor. All those conversations are super taboo. And 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 and, and I think that yeah, there'll be a ton of value in launching into this at some point. But um, the point I'm making is imagine if you were to have a nap for, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes. And so you do your 20 minute nap because we know that's extremely beneficial and 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 you you play a vibration and i've been doing that in all of my nap times now what i used to do when i napped for 20 minutes is i would still wake up slightly groggy whereas with the vibrations i wake up a hundred percent refreshed and good to go it's been mind-blowing and i'm not talking about a small difference i'm talking about i'm two different humans so there has to be some, you know, the, 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 the mm. research is continuing to, to try to see where I'm going to go with this next, but there's a ton of, there's a ton of time. You can, you can go down some severe rabbit holes on that. Interesting. Sean, speaking of rabbit holes, <laughs> what do you got? Well, I have been down a few rabbit holes on this subject. <laughs> and so I'll get to that in a sec. I just want to reinforce what Seb just said. And that is, um, back to my acupuncturist when she's putting needles in me um twice per month she'll also have she's got some tuning forks at fixed frequency she's got a a whole set of them that she will use and she's also got some tibetan uh, singing bowls of various sizes that she will use specific frequencies on me while or together as we're sharing an energetic space um and she will sync me up she'll vibe me up she'll adjust me not only with needles but she'll use frequencies as well now does that sound weird to someone out there for sure it does because it used to sound weird to me at one point but that was a long time ago when i didn't understand any of this stuff and so 
back to Seb's point, like how deep does the rabbit hole go? Well, I guess it depends on how deep you want to go. And so the idea of a, mm, a frequency causing some sort of an adjustment within your physiological or emotional or psychological state, you can look into lucid dreaming, but lucid dreaming at one point should, well, will probably take you to something called remote viewing. And so remote viewing is not lucid dreaming. And so you can start creating some lucid dreaming within your life, and then you can start exploring something called remote viewing. And so what that will allow you to do is, is better interact with your, I don't want to call it controlling your sleep state, but better understanding your sleep state by giving you something to uh, work on or explore on or adventure with to see if you can or can't remote view. Now, I'm not suggesting that by the end of today, you're going to be remote viewing based on this afternoon's nap. You you perfected lucid dreaming. And by a 24-hour cycle later, you're the master of the universe on remote viewing. That is not going to be the case. By the end of today, you might understand a tiny bit about lucid dreaming and a tiny bit about remote viewing. But what you will understand by the end of today, if you just spend even 30 minutes researching, is that there's an entire different world that you have yet to explore, just like so many other things in life. There's so many worlds to explore. Once you, someone puts it in front of you, dangles the carrot in front of your nose and says, have you ever considered pursuing mm -hmm. this carrot? And that could take you the rest of your life. If you're passionate and, and curious and adventurous, you could spend the rest of your life just considering lucid dreaming or remote viewing or anything to do with sleep. And that's just sleep. And so maybe throughout today's episode or conversation, we'll talk about a bunch of things, a bunch of carrots, a bunch of stuff that maybe you've never heard of before, or perhaps you've just heard of it in the background and never gave it a moment's consideration beyond that, just because you heard it from a person who you thought, what do they know? Well, the guest panel knows a few things. And so um, maybe... We'll come up with a few things today that you can uh, sink your teeth into by the end of the day and uh, start a curious 2024. Mm -hmm. Always good to start curious. Trav, what do you, Follow I know the you got? White... I know you've been sitting there like madly taking notes. What do you got? Well, I've got three pages here so far, so I'm going to try and condense it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, follow the white rabbit, eh, Sean? Um, you know, I've, I've never, I, I will set an alarm to wake up. I've never really needed that alarm. I'll always wake up before my alarm, whether it's one minute or two minutes, I'll wake up before the alarm. This whole getting up at 0230, 0330, it's kind of a pain in the arse. I like some of the practicable takeaways that we can use here. And I'd really love to hear anybody who's listening if they have thoughts or ideas or suggestions that work for them. I've heard some people talk about, I think it was cinnamon tea with uh, honey and, and a few other things. I've tried it didn't make a difference. I'm going to try the, uh, the different frequencies, but that whole white rabbit, carrot rabbit hole thing kind of makes me think of Sean, when I was sitting in your kitchen there and we wrapped up the podcast and I, I essentially made some comment along the lines of manifest destiny. I said, you know, I don't know if it's something where i we have such a direct effect over everything that goes around us through our thoughts, through our actions, or if it's that we 
later on look back at it and have a cognitive bias and say, oh, all of this happened because, or all these puzzle pieces fit because, and we figure it out. Whatever the reason being, there does seem to be a natural order to things. And I think you made a comment about it because I said, you know, it's, it's interesting. You set your mind to something, you achieve it time and time again. Um, and I think you, I said, it's sort of like being in the matrix. Are, are we in the matrix? Are we creating our own realities and what effect do we have? And you said, I believe we do. And right at this moment, we're in your reality. And in the next moment, we're going to be in some other reality. I thought that was really interesting way to look at it. And we never did expand on that conversation. But I think it kind of plays into the frequencies. I think it plays into this whole either cognitive bias, looking backwards and saying, yeah, it all all added up. Or are we building it ahead of ourselves? I'd like to hear a little bit more on that. It's an interesting spot to start, Sean. What do you got? Well, I mean, the collective is a good example of this. Uh, I mean, you know, a year ago, we started off with zero episodes and then 365 episodes later, looking backwards, is that reflecting on a year that just went by and, oh, it all kind of panned out? Or a year ago, looking into the future and manifesting it as if it's a done deal. Oh, I know it's already done because I've already stated in my mind that it's done and therefore it is. And so which one is it? Are we looking into the future or are we looking back into the past? I guess it depends on how you've been running your life up to now. This is what I do know for sure. That in, I say for sure, this is what I think. (laughs) I think that in the moment we have constant choices and um, any, any second that we're living in is a branching point. Go left, go right, go up, go down, go in, go out. It doesn't much matter, but it's a, generally a binary choice that we're constantly facing every single second. And I think that the binary moment is what carves our present, of course, but it is in some way illuminating the past and in some way it's illuminating the future. And so um, I I try to be more careful nowadays with my choices, but I try not to... um, I try not to strategy or tactic it too much. In fact, very little as compared to how I used to do things. Now I just try to be in the moment. I just try to be present. And here here it comes. I just try to vibe. I try to understand the synchronicity of the moment. I try to understand who I'm with, what we're talking about, what the color of the sky is. I, I understand all of those things. But most importantly, number one, for me nowadays is feeling the energy, feeling the vibe of the moment, feeling the interconnectedness of what is happening in that moment. And so I'll know the color of the sky. I'll know whether it's snowing or not, but they're all just like data points to me that are not curiosities, but they're the realities that have no bearing per se on what I'm feeling. They're just observational moments in the external world. And the moment that I'm looking at, if if it's you, Travis, in my kitchen, that moment, what I'm doing is I'm feeling the moment and observing my surroundings. So I think that there, for me anyway, I have to be very clear that I capture all of the bandwidth around me and the external world, but my biggest priority or my most interesting fascination 
<clears throat> or the thing that I find to be most useful for Sean is the vibe, the energy, the, the frequency of the moment. So that's where I spend a lot of my time uh, with frequency as we were talking about, whether it's tuning forks or Tibetan singing bowls or whether it's a, um, uh, a digital harmony that you can find on the internet that is a specific frequency. Um, all of these things are, I think they're choices that we're also making. You know, you either believe it or you don't. So there's a choice. So let's say you believe it. Well, what do you believe? Do you believe in tuning forks, but not Tibetan singing bowls? So there's a choice. So as you, as you define your way down the rabbit hole, eventually you get to a point where you're going to get resistance, where you're going to bump into a wall, where you're going to bump into, oh, that's nonsense. That's BS. I don't believe in tuning forks. Well, that's the point where you are supposed to pause two, three, or do a tactical pause and consider, why not? Why don't I believe in that? Because that's probably what you've been believing for your entire life, that that can't happen. That doesn't mean anything. That has no bearing on the moment. That is nonsense. Why not like open your mind just a little bit more and dig into that resistance, that sticking point, that tuning fork moment, and just think, maybe, maybe I should consider there's something to this. Maybe I just have to be a little more curious about this nonsense. And then really determine if it is nonsense for you. But it's always going to be nonsense if you never explore it. It's always going to be what you think it is just by the simple thought. And therefore, it requires action. It requires pursuit. It requires the hunt of the, the knowledge. So the what's right in front of your face of the tuning forks don't work, that's nonsense. There's, there's adventure beyond that. There's, there's at least a day's worth or two days worth or two years worth of adventuring just on tuning forks. In your mind, you can adventure on this subject. Never mind talk to other people about it. Never mind go halfway around the world to see if it's a thing. So there's lots of stuff out there that you can adventure into, be better for, as long as you move beyond the sticking point that's right in front of your nose of, ah, that's nonsense. Use, it, use your binary choice in that moment to pursue rather than to stand still. What do you got? No, go ahead. Okay. I, 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 I was, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I, uh, <clears throat> I love the fact that you use the term resistance, Sean. And as you were talking, the, the thing that really kicked in my head was <clears throat> when we used to do all of our procedures for using uh, command wires, anytime you're using electrical circuits, right? In order to set off explosives, you're determining whatever you're doing with, ele uh, with electronics. Resistance is a key thing. It's something that you have to measure regularly. And you have to check to make sure that your wires are set to a certain, there's a certain resistance uh, allowance that you can sit inside. Otherwise, that wire is no good. we got to do something else. And I, I was likening it to a thought process because it is, it can be very linear. And you can, if you extend that thought process out too far, you're going to meet a lot of resistance, right? If your wire is too long, you're going to have a lot of resistance. You're not going to get that return signal. Whereas if you you know, shorten that, um, that wire setup, it'll work, but you, you lack range. So how do you develop in that moment to alleviate the resistance, but then also, um, 
still maintain that that depth of thought processes. And I think what you said was perfect in the fact that it's like it's experimentation. Oh well, I'll try this wire. Oh, what about that wire? And that's they're just different thought processes. They're different um, lanes, different roads to go down and go. I wonder if I can get down farther on that pathway versus this pathway. Let's try it. And it, and I just love the fact that you used resistance because it is a uh, it clicked in my head. <laughs> Seb, what were you going to say? Yeah, you know, now is probably the best time in the world to have these conversations because what we are seeing is an intersection between science and spirituality. A lot of those practices that for the longest time were siloed are now the, the, the scientific world, which is for some people, this this has no bearing. For some, for some people, spirituality, as we define it, has no bearing. For me, I just, I just so happen to be passionate about both of those realms. And this has always been the case. I love science and I love when science is capable of explaining something that's considered within the spiritual realm and vice versa. But now what we're seeing is intersectionality. And that is where the magic is, in my opinion. And that's exactly what we have. And so when Travis was talking about uh, the frequency, so I, again, I'm, I'm not going to dive like too, too deep in the technical things related to this. This is more of a conversation that we have so that people can go out and, 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 and look it up and try to find, you know, some answers and really get into exploration. But yesterday I, I was watching a documentary and again, I, the name escapes me, but if you go on YouTube and do the, the, the research, uh, you, you will be able to find it. But essentially what it spoke about, it was about 18 minutes long and it spoke about frequency. And what it essentially says it as it pertains to manifestation. And so the tuning fork that Sean was talking about earlier, you take one, if you don't believe in the, I, I believe it's correspondence or, or, you know, where you affect something and it, the other thing that's made of the same vibrations is affected. Do you remember the word, Sean? Maybe coherence. Something like that. It's it's it, there. It's either correspondence or coherence or something. Maybe a chance if you can look it up. But so what happens is uh, some stars are made of the same vibration, and one of them explodes like a million light years away. The other one explodes at the exact same time. Boom! Right. And so we thought for the longest time that there was no there was no correlation between that and human things, or you know, things of 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 the human nature, and so. Now what they're seeing is a tuning fork. If you hit it, it vibrates. And the, th the thing that's in tune with the vibration starts vibrating the secondary tuning fork. So now you just, you just did that from a distance. Call it telekinesis or whatever, not telekinesis, but, um, you know, call whatever you want to call it. I mean, if you want to put a, a fancy name on it, but, but essentially it, it, it works that way. So now the suggestion is made that when you are setting up an intent, when you are taking action, forward actions to, to materialize something that you really want, but you are putting all the pieces in the right spot. We already know from a neuroscientific standpoint that you're opening up your brain for receiving more information, that you're more open to the information that you are receiving, that you're seeing opportunities, you know, and you're more sort of um, inclined to take them. But now what they're suggesting is that you've actually changed the vibration that you are emitting when you are when you when you do all of those things and those vibrations will connect with similar vibrations of 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 the things that you are li looking for so you're going to be connecting through vibrations instead of i'm just going to take action and somehow miraculously things happen and so that's why it 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 said and in my life this has proven true more than more than you know more than not let, let's put it this way 
when you are doing all of the work and nothing seems to work, but you keep on doing all of the work and you never quit doing all of the work and, 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 and seeing yourself in the outcome that you are seeking and all of those things, what ends up happening is all of a sudden it unleashes a chain of event that everything happens easily. There is zero resistance. It's like, and it starts flowing. And I cannot begin to tell you how many times this happened in my life. But also, I never was one to quit early. I was always one to keep pushing and keep doing the things that I needed to do and not give into the negative energy associated with whatever it is, the difficulties associated with whatever endeavor I was engaged in. And so that makes a ton of sense. But now they're starting to look more and more at that. So not only the manifestation itself has neuro neuroscientific sort of foundation, but there is vibrational foundation, all kinds of other things. And so you're lining up more than one system. This, you know, we're talking about interconnectedness. And I think that's the big danger. Oh, this is a neuro neuroscience scientific process. This is a psychological process. This is a medical process. This is a what are we doing that for? Like all of those things are completely intertwined. And so I'm not surprised that those two things are starting to intersect. A lot of the science and a lot of the things that we now know to be true were used by the Mayans and the Incas. You know, the certain way they structure their buildings, the way the sound reverberated off the walls, the way they, I mean, if you've never ever been anywhere near uh, Mayan ruins, you will know that they had the way they built sort of their structures so that you could be at both ends of the field and have a regular conversation that you could hear as if you were on a radio like we are talking thousands of years ago not you know not uh not a hundred years ago we we're talking and so they were already very familiar with this if you look at the interpretation of the pyramids by nikola tesla who's literally the forefather of of frequency of of, of explaining frequencies and what did tesla know well here's an interesting fact about tesla at the time that he was coming up with all those concepts he was essentially completely shunned and people don't know this now because 80 percent of his of his research has proven to be real to be accurate and so now we we see see him as a genius but back in the day he was a heretic like he he would have been he would have been burnt at the stake if he was you know somewhere else in the world probably but but and so now what we are seeing is 80 percent of his of his revelations are accurate and that's at least so we're still we're still kind of learning about some of the other ones. Look at Einstein speaking about frequencies. If you get a chance to have a look at that, go see what Einstein was saying. It's completely in line with what Tesla was saying. And so there's some there's a crazy world out there. And the more you use your brain as a parachute, so it works open, the more the more you're 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 going to find that you know you can you can navigate a landscape that isn't at all magic. It's it's science intersected with spirituality. I think at the basis of that, that's uh, because math is the universal language, right? And yes, we're, precisely. We're talking about frequency and so on and so forth. It is at the basis of math and physics. Quantum math and yeah, exactly. quantum physics. Trav, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah. Um, see if my uh, lack of sleep brain can keep it all together here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we didn't invent math. They say we discovered math, right? All we do is we take a look at patterns and repeating patterns and see how they fit together. Uh, some of it works and we create a structure of physics and, you know, things fall, terminal velocity, 32 feet per second squared, 
eight meters per second squared. That's a known fact. Hey, we can we can cross that one off based on gravitational pull and the amount of um, backwards pressure an object would have, like the Earth against whatever it's falling against. Like you can start creating all of these formulas and rules, but they all go out the window when you start getting smaller and smaller and dealing with, let's say, quantum physics. In quantum physics, we talk about things like the tuning fork. One can tune over here, one can tune over there, uh, set one off, the other one vibrates. But we know why. We can measure that. We can see, we can visualize it, we can create experiments that are repeatable that let us understand anyways why this is happening. Quantum entanglement, we don't understand that yet. We know it to be a case based on our observations, but even our observations alone will change the outcome, like when we look at the double slit theory. So when Sean talks about observing different things and observing these energies, it's a very real thing. I mean, you can just walk into a room where a fight's happened and realize, holy crow, feels heavy in here, right? You, you can feel it in your body when you might not be able to rationalize why that might be. Seb talks about, oh, I just love how science is explaining how these things are working and all these things like the Mayans were working on a long time ago and how it's all coming into place. But again, we're relying on a science that's providing us with information that we say, okay, it's repeatable. We see this to be true based on what we know now. There is a one key in that all of that, and that's where faith and science kind of coincide. You know things to be a certain way. Well, do I? Can I explain that to somebody else? But if I know it for myself, and it affects myself, and it affects those around me, do I have to explain it to other people? And I, and I think that's what a lot of this really is. When I look at it, whether I believe in pressure points and acupressure, whether I believe, I mean, We've probably seen George Dillman and his thoughts on on pressure points and Dim Mac and Death Touch and all the rest. And <laughs> everyone can laugh at the McDojo stuff that's going on over there. I remember as a kid taking a seminar, like, what is this stuff? Uh, he had some reasons why it wouldn't work on me. But um, <laughs> um, <laughs> he said something about, because I, th I think circularly, or my energy patterns flow in a circular fashion. That's why it's not working. Uh, but as an observer of my own life, as I move through it, I, I know I've said the quote before, but I know it to be true to myself. It's Viktor Frankl in the concentration camps and observing how some people can find meaning and joy and happiness in the most terrible environments where other people are beside themselves. And they really look at what it is that we're able to control. And he says, the last of life's great freedoms is one's ability to choose your own attitude in any given circumstance. Um, and essentially that choice of your attitude, whether I choose to explore, whether it's a binary choice, I go in this door, I go in that door, I choose to explore these different modalities. It opens myself up to creating a reality that, that just kind of clicks and kind of works. So whether I believe it or I don't believe it, I can look at the effects that it's having on me. Is it all placebo? Maybe, but it's working. Just because I can't explain it in the moment doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't something that's without merit. So that that's the gist of what my uh, couple hours of sleep brain can put together <laughs> in the moment. But I, I, I don't know if, like, I truly, I believe the frequency thing. I know that we see on a frequency. I know that we hear on a frequency. I know that 
Uh, basically, everything boils down to wavelengths. I don't buy into, oh, you're a high-frequency individual and you're a low-frequency individual, because if you know about radios, you'll know that actually lower frequencies are the ones that we're using to talk to China with. They go a further distance. And But whatever that is, the frequency or the vibe that we're on, I had one individual point out to me, he says, Trav, you live in Ladner. Yeah. Um, are there any drug dealers in Ladner? Probably, right? Any any meth heads? I don't know, probably. I don't see them. He said, I'm willing to bet statistically there are, but you don't see them, do you? No. How, how about um, arsonists and thieves? Oh. He's like, because they run in very different circles than you do. They're operating on a different frequency than what you're on. So if we're able to elevate our frequency, whether that means high, low, whatever it is, but find ourselves on a uh, mental thought process that aligns yourself with other people that are moving in a direction that we find desirable, like those on the collective, I, I think I can buy into that, that definition of frequency. Mm, that's interesting. Sean, you got any thoughts on this? I do. So, you know, I've hung out at the pyramids, went there for that purpose was to figure some of this stuff out, did a four day trek across uh, the Andes to hit Machu Picchu and stand there and figure that out. All the other places that I've gone to and stood inside of or in front of or next to, you know, that's, that's like my own adventurous spirit kind of externalizing itself. But man, that's my internal spirit as well. And that's, that's my internal aspect, trying to synchronize up with these locations, trying to absorb the vibe and take it with me into the future. And so what does that even mean? Like, I mean, you can't grab a cup full of Machu Picchu frequency, but you can stand in it and you can feel it and you can maybe absorb it and maybe hang on to it for a while or for the rest of your life, as I like to think of it. And so I think the it's one thing to watch a video and it's one thing to read about a thing, but uh, inevitably in order to properly understand it, I think you've got to stand in it or stand on it or be with it. And so that, that requires that external action of eventually you got to put the book down all the wisdom that you've absorbed from the book. You've, you've maxed out. That's it. If you read it twice, you're not going to gain a notable improvement from it. So eventually you got to put the book down and you got to put your shoes on and you've got to start heading towards the spot, whatever the spot is, so that you can absorb some of this frequency and understand what it means to you in the external world, in the practical world, in the physical world, in this three-dimensional reality that we all exist in, rather than the book reality, an almost two-dimensional representation of a, uh, of a scientific and spiritual confluence moment. Reading about it is sometimes more easily understood than standing in it and not reading anything. By standing in a moment that has some sort of frequency to it, if no one's explaining that to you, what's happening in that moment, the feeling that you're feeling, and if you're not explaining it to yourself, then you might just be feeling a little bit of dissonance. You might be feeling a little bit of, well, this, what's with this place? Why does it feel this way? And you may never think about it any further. I, I know that I'm looking at Trav right now and I'm considering 
the freaking boatload of swamps that I've walked through. And every once in a while, there's a swamp that has a feeling about it has a like, sometimes it's like, Oh, that this isn't quite evil, but there's something about this swamp. And then other times I've gone through swamps and it's like, Oh, what's going on here? It feels like something died in this swamp feels like there's some death hovering over this swamp. And then there's other times I've gone through swamps and it's not that it's spooky, but it's got a little bit of a, there's something going to happen. There's a premonition to the swamp. And so there's all of the swamps that I've walked through that the, everyone here on the panel has walked through. It's either called a swamp a thousand times, or it's called 1000 different swamps. And that's how I get to view it. That's the world for me is it might be called a swamp, but there's a whole pile of different versions based on how I feel as I'm about to step into it, how I feel when I'm in it and how I feel once I've stepped out of it. And those are three, three very different processing states. And so I like to try to process each state. I'd like to consider it before I jump in while I'm in it. And while I've jumped out of it, you could spend the rest of your life thinking about a single swamp in those three states, if you really thought deeply. And so, you know, back to looking at Travis and thinking, I wonder how many swamps Travis has walked through and felt this kind of uh, divergence of it's not just a swamp, it's more than a swamp. So I'm curious, Trav. Uh, lots. And I remember at a young age reading Gavin De Becker's book, uh, The Gift of Fear. We probably all read that one. It's a, um, it's a decent book. It's a really good sales piece. I think that's the biggest thing I, I, I took out of it. He's got some good information that then resells him over and over in his services throughout the book in a fantastic way if you're into business. But uh, The Gift of Fear talks about you know, a person walks into a swamp, a person walks into a bar, they walk into an area and they're like, it doesn't feel right, right? They just can't, they get this gut feeling or this woman's intuition. And what Gavin tries to do is say, don't worry about rationalizing it. Men love rationalizing and find the science behind it. Now, why do I feel afraid in the moment? Why am I feeling that this swamp has got death lingering over it when Maybe it was something that you smelled that you haven't picked up on in your mind that you've smelt before. Maybe it was something you saw or you heard out of the corner of your eye. Your brain's processing, but maybe your prefrontal cortex hasn't quite caught up and given you a, a very clear picture of it as to the why yet. I think it's important for people to follow the advice that Gavin puts out, which is trust your gut. You get that feeling, trust it. You have all the time in the world afterwards to walk out and analyze and think about why that might be. But in that moment, you have to just go with it. And sometimes, sometimes it's going to be wrong, right? Like I had uh, Jamie Flynn, he's a base jumper. I think he's actually been on the collective as well, perhaps um, on the Silvercore podcast, talking with him. And he says, you know, I got, I got the rule of threes. If my alarm doesn't go off, if I get cut off in traffic, if... Uh, if I'm just not feeling it, and sometimes I'll just base it on that just not feeling it, I'm not going to jump that day. And he had a pretty horrific accident that he almost didn't live from in Turkey when he didn't land well. And he says, all the signs were there afterwards, but I ignored them. Um, I think it's important for us when we're entering these swamps to 
be extra in tune because with practice, it'll get easier and easier for us to recognize these different feelings. Being in the outdoors, I, I feel it all the time. I know if I'm in an area that's going to be game rich or not. It's a lot of times just by, um, by sense. Now, if I really thought about it, there's probably reasons for it and I could probably articulate it, but after a while, you just move from location to location until you get to one that feels good. Um, Absolutely. But you know, Sean, and not to derail things too much, but Machu Picchu and you felt this energy when you're in there, I kind of want to know what it felt like. Have you felt that before and can you replicate it or would you want to? Yeah, I don't mind answering that question because it's a fascinating subject. And it's kind of one I almost launched into with uh, Seb just a little while ago. And uh, <clears throat> the question was kind of like, how was it at uh, Miyamoto Masashi's uh, waterfall? And uh, we kind of briefly talked about it when uh, Seb and I hooked up in Vancouver, just as we'd returned back from our Asia uh, visit. And so uh, as, as I kind of laughingly explained i didn't dive into it too deeply because we just didn't have the time we were talking about uh book stuff and so uh i just said you know uh someone who has been on the collective as a guest uh coach whiskers who's an awesome dude um he he'd asked me the exact same question in the green room uh just before we went into the collective podcast and and i said um man it was it, it he, he suggested the happening off of um, Highlander. Um, the, the quickening. The quickening. The quickening. Uh, he'd suggested the quickening from Highlander where, you know, you take somebody's head and you get all their power and, you know, the power's coming in. You're just like feeling all of the vibe. And so um, it was like at that waterfall, I was taken in all of that energy and I felt like I had the ability to shoot it out, like to to be able to take it in and then to use it. But what I didn't get to, and that's what I explained to Coach Whiskers, and that's kind of what I said to Seb, but what I didn't jump into was that I, it's almost like it felt to me like it was a localized energy, not like a universal energy. And what I mean by that is while I was there, I could feel it. But when I was on the bus, you know, an hour later, it's not like I had waterfall energy that I could shoot out of my laser eyeballs. So it wasn't anything like that. It was, it was just a moment that I was collecting an understanding of what is possible in that location and then taking it with me into forward knowledge. So I experienced it. I understand it. Now, how do I replicate it? I don't know. I don't know. But you'll never know anything unless you go out there and stand next to a waterfall and feel these things. And so I felt what I felt. I, I did what I did. And now it's for me to figure the rest out in the present and the future. And so just like Machu Picchu as the example, standing there, like, I mean, it's not like, it's not like I sat in the middle of Machu Picchu cross-legged and tried to absorb all of the energy uh, that was in that location. What I did was I walked around on top of Machu Picchu and observed and tried to feel and and it wasn't just a 30 second feel it was like i spent several hours up there trying to feel what i wanted to feel or if there was anything to feel and there's always something to feel for me it's just i wasn't sure where it would take me what i would learn from it and so 
by keeping an open mind up in these locations like Machu Picchu or like in the pyramids or like wherever, I think it comes down to being open to the senses of the moment, being open to what the universe is going to kick out in your general direction as to maybe an understanding of the moment or an understanding of your future on, you know, when you get to that future point, you can look back and think about these things. It nothing on this subject of what it felt like will be understandable by a general audience unless they've stood in these moments and felt something because otherwise it's just like, it's, it's crazy talk. It doesn't mean anything. There is no energy. You can't feel anything. What are you talking about, pal? You can't feel anything. Well, you can, but you got to go stand in these spots and feel it to understand that it's a thing. Then once you understand it's a thing, then it's for you to decide whether you want to feel that thing again. And I have lots because I pursued them because I understand that it is a thing. And so, you know, it either is a thing or it isn't. And if it isn't a thing for you, then this is a hard topic to wrap your head around because you just haven't stood in the spot that's right for you. And so what is right for you? Chances are it is probably going to have to be something notable, like that is guaranteed going to leave an impact in order for you to change your mind on this subject. And by impact, I mean, that isn't just an energetic impact. It takes more than that when you're first timing this stuff, I believe, anyway. I think there has to be some other things that are wrapped around that synchronized moment, that frequency that you can feel. And it takes a little bit of, I'm going to use the word magnificence. So there's almost got to be a, a magnificent moment wrapped around the feeling moment. And by magnificent, I mean like it could be anything. So you're standing in front of the pyramids, you're looking at the flats, you're looking at these three huge structures, you're looking at a camel, you're feeling the heat on the back of your neck, and that is called not normal if you're living right next to the West Edmonton Mall. And so that moment where it's like, look at this magnificence. If you can dial into this as like, whoa, an alien moment for me, this is like a diff really, really different moment for me, that magnificent moment can then like snap you into the reality of, hang on a sec, I feel different about this place. And so now it doesn't have to be Machu Picchu. It doesn't have to be the pyramids, but it has to be something again that has some magnificence to it where you snap into the moment precisely so that you can possibly feel it. So I'm, your, your question, Trav, what I did envision was, you know, you're, you're, you're climbing up something and you just get almost to the crest of a ridge. And just as you're about to crest, you get a feeling and you're not sure why. Mm -hmm. And as you not turkey neck up, but as you kind of come up over the ridge and start kind of eyeballing what's over the ridge, bam, it's a magnificent stag with a little bit of fog in the background. And so when you see that moment and connect with that moment, it's magnificent. I mean, the, the setting is magnificent. And sometimes it takes that like, bam, it takes that one thing to snap you into the present for you to understand the magnificence of the moment. And then hopefully you feel something and you it's, it's a feeling that is beyond just like, wow, look at that view or wow. Look at how many points on that stag. 
it's more than that. It's deeper than that. The magnificence of the moment manages to pull you into a feeling. And it's that feeling that you're supposed to pursue, not the view. Mm. It's the feeling that you pursue. And if you can pursue it in that moment, like right there in that split second, and just get a foot deeper into the feel of the moment, well, presto changeo. Now you don't have to stand next to Stonehenge or you don't have to stand next to these, these spots that may have some form of energetic connection for you as an individual. So maybe that answers your question on what I felt in Machu Picchu. Um, it's, it's a hard one to articulate, mm. but uh, I think that no one has to go to Machu Picchu. What they have to do is, is maybe consider what could be magnificent for them in their near future. And it's all around us. No matter where you live, no matter what you do, no matter how much little or a lot of time that you have left in your life, it's right out your door. If you, if you think about it a little carefully, you can step out your front door and within half an hour, you can be next to something that has some relative magnificence to your maybe regular life, we'll call it. Now, that scale of magnificence, of course, can go from one to ten. I mean, a half hour from your house in the forest that you've never visited before, that's kind of magnificent. But if you jump on a plane and go stand in front of the pyramids, freaking it's going to open up your eyes for sure. So there are levels to the magnificence, no doubt about it. But no one has to go from zero out of 10 to 10 out of 10 today. If you've never played this game of go seek something that is freaking rad and then stand in it. And absorb the moment so you get the feeling that you're looking for, the feeling of the specialness of it, the feeling of connecting with something more than just the view. This brings up a lot of really good things uh, in in my head, but I, I'm thinking about <clears throat> uh, Transformers, and I don't know why you guys have my head stuck on uh, electrical equipment for some reason, but uh, this is where my head is going. And it, those points, those places, those are stores of potential energy. They're, they're places that have their own unique, at least this is what I'm getting from you, that they have their own unique frequency, they have their own power, they have their own energy just kind of built up in that position. And when you can walk into it and tap into it, you can then absorb some of that potential energy and utilize it moving forward into your life. And there's been a few times in my life where I have been in positions to absorb those potential energies and they are for lack of a better word cosmic right they are massive pools of of energy that you can tap into if you know how to do it and to your point sean if you are if you've never if you've never explored the world of energy or um <laughs> or of any of this sort of thing if you try to go to magic Picchu, you could climb to the top and be like wow cool view and walk right back down and that would be the extent of your trip Versus being able to stand in those moments and absorb all of that potential energy and then utilize it later on as your own personal kinetic energy moving forward. At least that's the way I'm seeing it. Seb, what are you thinking? Like there, there's so much I could go on. I've been taking like I'm on I'm on two page of notes, so I, I, I'll just I'll just keep it I'll just keep it you know not brief necessarily, but at least to a, a few points. What Sean is talking about is so important, and that's on the macro level, but imagine on the, on the micro level, 
you can do that. That's a concept of gratitude, essentially. How feeling the moment right now, you know, how 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 does it how does it vibe with me? That could be drinking water, fresh water without having to walk 10 miles to go get it. That could be, you know, having a, a roof over your head. It could be all of those things. So you can do this on the on the micro as well. And then you can go out and explore the world and do this. Uh, as well. But let's put it this way, to make it a visual an analogy, if you take somebody that's never worked out a day in their life and you bring them to the gym and you have them do a bicep curl, the last place they feel that is in their bicep. Somehow the movement is exactly the same. They haven't changed anything. They haven't done anything differently, but somehow they absolutely cannot feel that in their bicep. Why is that? Because they do not have the mind-body connection mind body physicality environment all of those things that have to come into play so that you can send the energy exactly where you want it in your peak of your bicep muscle or whatever the case may be and so if if a person is out there looking in and they're seeing somebody working out there is no difference from the person that's doing bicep curl here and the person that's truly doing bicep curls that are beneficial for the growth you can't tell visually but there is a massive difference when when you know when it comes to to game day and so when you work with athletes it's not so much about just demonstrating the proper way of of of, of proceeding with the movements or the proper the proper form that they should and the proper velocity they should be applying to movements but it's also about building that mind body connection and so the first impediment to this is mental blocks and people do that all the time as Sean alluded to <clears throat> by refusing to engage in something that's seemingly strange or that goes outside of their their area of expertise or something that they even heard about or they you know and so we're really quick to discount and i'm not suggesting that there isn't a whole bunch of stuff that you should be discounting what i am saying is there's no harm in taking a little bit of time to explore because ultimately you're going to live that time anyway and wake up on the other end of it the exact same person you were so you got two choices you either disprove it which changes nothing because time was going to flow anyway or you find something that you can really assimilate something that you can action upon or that you, you can draw from and so what i'm what i've been seeing recently is that when you're having conversations with people let's let's take something that has a, a long tr a long tracking history of evidence-based um, you know concept water fasting say for a seven-day water fast which we know it's been documented over and over again every time somebody speaks about this you, re you start reading the comments, you'll see a million different comments that say, that's just crazy. You guys should never put this on the internet. You, you know, you, you're going to kill people, all of those things. Of course, all of which is absolutely not the case. Nobody understands about autophagy and how it cleans the body and all of th those other things because they won't take the time to do the research. And so if you have a closed mind, every single opportunity that you have to elevate your consciousness isn't going to happen. And when you do that, you are going to be exactly where you were 10 years ago in 10 years. There is no doubt that that's going to be the case. So the key isn't to take everything you hear at face value and assimilate it into your own life. That's not what this is all about. This is about you receiving some potential wisdom, taking having the wisdom of looking into it and start finding whether or not there's some relatability for you in there and if that thing can do something for you and now you can move on and go to the next thing when sean when sean speaks about you know not having stood there you know what it reminds me of goodwill hunting you know when he when he is figuring out a way 
to come back at this little wise wisecrack that knows everything because he's read all the books and knows all of the academic stuff. And he says, you know, I, I realize I'll never be as smart as you. I, I never will. That's just a fact. But you've never stood in the Sistine Chapel. You've never smelled what it smelled like. You've never felt what it felt like, you know, and this to me was one of the most powerful uh, moments in movie history as far as I was concerned, because how do you get back at somebody that's so superior intellectually? And it was very hard to do that. And he was witty as well. So which made which made it worse. But he, he was able to not only not only sort of break the walls, but he was able to establish a connection that none of the other therapists were able to do by using by flanking him and using something that's an actual truth which is you have never been there you have no idea you've never felt it and so i i can really relate to this when sean went to japan and his entire trip i felt in my very bones with every single write-ups because i've put myself in situations so often to feel locations that i absolutely know it to be the case every single one of those spots has something very very special to offer if you're open to it and so when sean was you know writing his post and explaining where he was and and what he was doing i was living that i've never been there don't don't mistake this for now i know what it feels like because i would have to go and do exactly what he did or or something like that to truly understand the depth of it but i can tell you this i was able to relate to that trip probably more than most humans because I felt that. And so when I asked Sean, you know, how was it to be where Musashi stood? How did it feel like? I didn't need to explain that to him. He knew exactly what I was asking. And so I, I would say this, we're always talking about this and we're always say, you know, go out and explore and do all of those things. Those things are necessarily, they're, they're, I wouldn't say they're, they're optional. They're really not optional. Like you're looking for things to look forward to in life, start exploring the, the very the, the varied concepts and start opening your mind up to the possibility of and and once once you've engaged in something actively for enough time to corroborate or you know deny the fact that it's working, then move on to the next thing. But by the end of it, you're going to have an entire baggage of different lenses to switch, to see and view the world from, which is going to translate to everything else you do, whether it's problem solving or finding reasons to be around or gratefulness or whatever the case may be. We have incredible amount of capacity. And I think that some people walk around thinking that there's a limit to how much things we can know and feel and do. And there isn't. There's only self-imposed limit. You know, sometimes I, I I love to I love to make that analogy, but there are there are people out there oftentimes that don't want to learn or don't want to go to school or don't want to because I only have so much room in there. There's people that will recite an entire phone book, number by number, and they haven't scratched the surface. So don't you think that you're running out of space? Like you got so much space for that exploration. <clears throat> That's a really interesting point in the fact that. Um... You know, you're, the the amount of information has little to do with it, right? And the fact that you can memorize a phone book, how is that helping you, right? Like, what information are you storing in your brain at that point in time? What are you, what types of energy are you using in your own daily life that you are storing on a regular basis? 
and how much of that is actually assisting you moving forward. How much are you able to apply somewhere else, right? Can you just randomly be like, ah, A. A. Aronson, excellent. I'm going to phone that guy right now, right? (laughs) How often are you doing that? Not often. So I think it's really important that what you said there is the fact that it is a, it is an understanding of what is not only useful, but the exploration of what could be useful in the future. Uh, Trev, you got any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, you know, before we started this discussion here, you'd given us some a topic. You said carpe diem, and we all said, let's throw the topics out the window. We're doing 2024 differently. Let's have a discussion. Let's dive deeper. And But a lot of the things that we're talking about here all comes back to that topic, if you really think about it. I don't know if we are preconditioned into... Uh, talking on this path or not, but, you know, seize a day. That was from Horace's uh, poem there, Carpe Diem, Quantum Minimum, Credula, Postero, like pluck the day, minimize tomorrow as if it can never come. Sean's talked about past, present, and future a number of times. Seb, uh, a few times now, time's going to flow anyways, I think is what you said. If we think about... Uh, what we're trying to do here is with the collective, how we're trying to grow ourselves and impact onto others and how that works. A lot of the truisms that you've talked about here apply. You can climb to the top of Machu Picchu chance, you say, and say, hey, nice view. That's it for me. Really, the biggest thing that I'm taking away from all of this is how we choose to let what we're listening to what we're watching, what we're experiencing impact us. And then what we're going to do with that. Is it impacting us in a positive way? Is it impacting us in a negative way? And both are important. And I mean, we need to have that, that, uh, that balance so we can understand and appreciate one over the other. But when we come back to that whole carpe diem in the individual day, past, present, and future, one thing that I find quite often people are looking for is what's that quick fix in the same way that I'm saying, like, what can I do about this sleep? I need more sleep. Damn it. Um, is it acupuncture? Is it, uh, 432 Hertz? Is it, and the answer to all of this is yes, it's yes. It's all of those things. And I have to be open to it. And it's not that it's going to be a completely different future or how it's going to make me reinterpret the past. It's that we're sort of in this ever extending present at all times. And if we can realize that in the whole seize a day, if I wanted to forget about tomorrow, pluck the day, minimize what tomorrow could be, that could have some pretty dire consequences. If I live my day on the day to day of pleasure seeking and going all out on just singular days. But if I realize that I'm, living my life in the ever present, every little advancement that I make, whether that's stepping out my door and enjoying the outdoors on one of Seb's mental health walks that happens every two weeks out here in the lower mainland on the Sundays, or if I'm going off to grand waterfalls on the other side of the world and and I'm experiencing that, um, every little bit that I take in is going to be an important piece of what, what makes me and whether that's good or bad. And I can measure that bad against that's not what I want to be, or that gives me a litmus of where I want, where I need to be. 
I, I think that's sort of the takeaway that I'm hearing from everybody in this discussion. You don't need to go pedal to the metal. You can experience these things sort of as micro adventures, but we got to be open to the experience. I like that. It's been mind boggling, mind boggling listening to you guys talk because a lot of it has brought back this concept of how electronics work, how um, electrical processes work, how certain things that we've invented physically are, there's actual representations of them throughout life in other realms like Machu Picchu, like Stonehenge, like the, uh, uh, <clears throat> like the pyramids. One of them for myself was standing at the base of a mountain and being able to like, like track the entire path all the way up to the top and just standing in the, the magnificence of that moment. But in those, in those moments, in those positions where you get to kind of understand where you are in the world a little bit, I, I'm, I'm not sure why my mind keeps going back to the electrical processes, but Trav, you got an idea? What are you thinking? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's because uh, we are electrical creatures, essentially, and it's a it's a language that we can use to be able to um, easily quantify why things are happening. If a capacitor holds energy and then discharges that energy, and we feel like we've held energy and we've discharged energy, we can say, I feel like a capacitor, right? If I'm feeling a lot of resistance, it's easy for me to say, hey, this is like, you know, how a resistor works. It's easy to talk on frequencies and wavelengths and um, and be able to kind of understand that it's harder to quantify the feeling. It's harder to be able to say this felt like what it's like trying to describe a color that, that doesn't exist yet. Um, <laughs> and, and I, and I think that's probably why it goes back to that. Um, you, you know, if you want to really kind of go out there a little bit, I'm sure you've heard about the, uh, the simulation theory whether we live in a simulation or we're not in a simulation. And some people say that smart scientists would say that there are odds of living in a simulation far outweigh our odds that we don't. And others would say, no, 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 no. At best it's 50, 50, right? Which is we're, we're at the epoch. We are the generating, um, we are the ones generating the AI and then it'll be something that happens in the future as if it's an inevitability. But that's just based on our understanding and how we can kind of process these things in the moment. And I, I think that all kind of goes back to basic mathematical processes, which is a language that we talk about, which we apply towards electronics. And I think that's, I think that's why your head's going there. Plus the fact that you've got an electronics background. Yeah, it's pretty handy. The funny thing is, is uh, I also growing up, my uh, Sean knows this. My mom's like a hippie, like a straight up hippie she used to hitchhike across the united states back in the back in 68 69 like and uh she got me she introduced me to reiki energy work when i was young and okay. i took to it really really fast and i apparently got pretty good at it and then when i left the the house and i joined the military and i went off to do my own life i it almost turned off completely and it wasn't until just recently where i've actively started to re uh, re-engage in it re-engage in the feelings of these things because i've i turned off my feelings for so long based off of uh, post-traumatic stress and dealing with all that and all my own difficulties uh coinciding with it i had tried to shut all my feelings down rather than turn them all on 
and over the years of healing, I now understand that it, as I turn them all back on, as I re-engage in all of those feelings and re-engage into what it is to manipulate energy, uh, it's allowed me to get those feelings back again. It's allowed me to engage uh, those senses that I didn't have before uh, or not, I haven't used in many, many years. So that it's an interesting uh, conversation that we're getting into in terms of energy and usages and all these things that uh, it's all coalescing into my own brain in one shot as we're talking about it. <laughs> so I'm getting all of these ideas and I have I, lots of notes just like you guys. So um, it's been a fascinating conversation so far. Sean, you got any... Uh, or what do you got, Trav? You're going to say something? Oh. I saw you. No, no. I, I, only thing I had to say is why. Why did you shut them off? And shut them off. And why are you feeling the way you do as you're turning them on? That, that's it. Just dig it a little deeper. Those are interesting questions. So I shut them off because um, I, I remember explaining it, tried to, trying to explain what Reiki energy work was to a couple of people in basic training. And... Uh, I just got made fun of so much that I was like, okay, I'm just not going to talk about this anymore. And because I didn't talk about it, I stopped using it. And because I stopped using it, I just tuned out from it. Whereas tuning back into it now has allowed me to, uh, or sorry, re being able to access certain points in my own body again, over years of healing and just re-engagement of myself has allowed me to re-see those pathways. At least that's where I'm, that's my thoughts on it. Sean, what are you thinking? Well, I am Reiki level one qualified. So if you need any Reiki work, you can just uh, <laughs> sign up at my Reiki program. So <laughs> I have explored it and I'm qualified in it. Um, I think that something that I want to throw across is um, based on what you'd said, Chance, with, you know, you did it back in the day and now it's kind of bubbling up in you inside again, maybe. Um, it's, it's all, it's what we believe and it's what we don't believe that sort of determines our world. And so um, I'm going to throw something out there. A lot of people won't believe it, but that's okay. Maybe the idea in and of itself will be so challenging that it might help someone move their needle just a touch. But again, it's going to be a challenging proposition. So buckle in and hang on. Um, so the idea being that Seb said he had felt uh, the some of the trip in Japan or felt uh, some of these moments, these we'll call them impactful moments that I might have written about, uh, that he'd felt it. Um, he's not the only one who felt it. I have had quite a few people who've said that they felt something in some of my trip at various points based on whatever imagery or whatever video or whatever verbiage that I was putting out. Well, not every single day that I was on that trip, just because there was so much stuff going on, I was I was busy with a lot of things and sometimes I just didn't have the energy to do what I'm going to explain. But at some points in the trip, what I would do is sit down and wait for it. I would pour myself into a post. I would pour my energy into a post. I would take the time, our most precious resource, to spend the right amount of time to pour my energy into it. And so effectively, here, here's the weird part, effectively what I was trying to do was make a connection, an energetic connection with our three-dimensional world through a digital medium. So I was trying to overlayer energy into energy. I was trying to overlay my life 
energy into a digital medium, into a digital energy. So anyone who would watch a video and read some verbiage and feel the moment, what they were feeling was a digital moment with a energy overlayered on top of it, me pouring myself into writing that thing, me pouring myself into taking that photo and saying whatever I would say about it. So it wasn't just a momentary instance of me taking a unthought of photo and rapidly scrabbling something down in verbiage and just hitting sand. That's not what I was doing over there. And sometimes I was really dialing up my effort. So I was pouring, we'll call it pouring some love into the post. And there's a wild difference for me between what I've just suggested as what I was doing versus what absolutely doesn't work for me. What absolutely feels dead to me is when someone else will take a random video, it doesn't matter, someone jumping out of a perfectly good airplane, someone on a snowboard, someone throwing a javelin, someone with an archery bow and arrow, it doesn't matter what it is. They will pick a random video that has no bearing on their life. They've never picked up a bow and arrow. They will take that video and then they will incorporate some other quote on it that somehow is supposed to be impactful to their followers or impactful out to the social media world or impactful to everyone who knows them. They've never done the thing that they're talking about and they barely understand the quote that they're putting together with the video. And when those two things occur, what I feel is it's a deadness to it. There is no life to it. There is no energy to that moment. I don't connect to it. It feels like a a flatline signal to me, like it's dead. It has no relevance. And yet there's content out there that can be just three words with a single photo. And if it's done right, if it feels right, it makes an impact on me. And so what I've found by observing the, the social media space for the last couple of years, where I've really tried to target lock and understand this phenomenon called social media, what I've done for myself is I've established that there's a lot of stuff out there that doesn't work for me. And the stuff that does not work for me is the contrived, artificial, the fake-aroni stuff that has nothing to do with that person's life. They, they, they've never picked up an arrow, but they're using a bow and arrow. They're using an archery video to make their point, and yet they couldn't spell archery. And so it's that deadness to certain things out there that I feel on social media versus things that feel alive, things that I connect with, synchronize with, vibe with. And the stuff that I vibe with, like I'll use uh, some of Seb's writing as an example, some of the stuff that Seb writes, I feel. And it's probably because he's poured himself into it, whether he took three minutes to write it or three days to write it is unimportant to me right now as I explain this. What is important is whether I feel it or not. And if I feel it, it's probably because the person who's delivered it has lived it 
understands it well enough that they can pour themselves into three words and it will impact me. And so I find the, um, the idea of interconnectedness on social media spaces is easily delineated for me in this simple way. That's fake or that's real. Now I can granularly dig down into that and, and get down to level 1004 and say, well, here's why I feel that. And here's why I feel that fake and not fake. I understand all the reasons that it is real or not to me. But at the end of the day, unless I'm really thinking about all the levels of why it doesn't, why I don't connect with it, it's really simple at the top layer. It's because it's not that person. That person and what they're putting out is not real. That person is not representing themselves as the person that they are. If they do represent themselves as the person that they are, I feel it. I feel that it's real. I feel that it makes sense and I feel that it impacts me for good. Where things don't impact me for good is when they are dead messages, contrived artificial messages, a carrier signal that doesn't feel authentic to me. If it's three words or 3,000 words done well with some love poured into it, with some authenticity poured into it, I'm a big fan. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. So have you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, for me, this has been the base premise of my social media account, essentially. I when I created my social media, which was in 2017. So I started yeah, I didn't have an Instagram before that. When I was on the team, all the guys had Instagram and they they made fun of me for not having it, but I was busy working. I was busy building what it is that I was able to post about starting in 2017. And I had no interest in doing anything but engage wholeheartedly in the process long before I decided that I was wanting to use some of the tools I developed over the years to help others and create some content that was meaningful. So for me, if you look at my social over the last couple months, there has been sort of a lull in my postings. And the reason why that's the case is because I have nothing meaningful and impactful to say right now in that for in, on that forum. I do have stuff to say but it's not flowing. It's not vibing. I'm not vibing with it. It's not, I'm just not there. I don't have the right photo to associate with the right write up. I, there's a bunch of stuff. So I've been, I've been, instead of trying to post because I have to post as I normally did every five days, I said to myself, you know what? And I, in fact, I noticed a sort of a, a bit of a decrease in my engagement and part of the part of that reason might have been that it became so autonomous that i was posting every five days and that i was associating a cool photo with a write-up and all of those things but it kind of lost a little bit of that integrity piece and a little bit of that um authenticity right and so what i what i decided to do was i'm going to wait until i have something to say I'm going to wait until I have something meaningful to bring to the conversation and I have the right picture or the right moment captured or whatever the case may be. So I feel that wholeheartedly. And I, and I feel that right now, some people have a really, really hard time deciphering what's real and what isn't. And I don't blame them because we're essentially, you know, overwhelmed with, with, with information coming from all different directions. And so 
and and there's a lot of posturing so if there's a lot of posturing sometimes it's difficult to know if if the if the if the words or if the if the content is grounded in reality of that person and so i i i buy into this wholeheartedly when i write and i i have something to say i would sit here forever so i know exactly what what sean is talking about when he when he speaks about making a meaningful post and sometimes you know you don't know when this happens sometimes i'm i can be at the restaurant when this happens and all of a sudden i have this this thought that goes through my mind and i'm now prepared to push something out that i believe will be truly meaningful and so now i have the conversations with you know the spouse and everybody to say, look, like when I have moments of inspiration, it can happen at unforeseen times. So I try not to excessively engage in that in my social media when we're doing things together. But there, there may be there may come a time where I'm sitting there and I'm cooking with oil, right? And I'm just like launching into something. And when I'm when I push the send button, I know that it will have the desired impact and the desired effect on the collective and 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 truly bring something that generally seeks one purpose, which is increasing connection between us. I have a question on that. <clears throat> Do you find that it is a um, almost like uh, like a buildup and then a release kind of deal where like you have this like all of this information all of a sudden kind of coalesces in your head and you're like, oh, yes. OK, now I need like a, now I, there's a just like I need to get it out to the world. I feel like this needs to be brought forward. And then once it's posted, it's like, OK. Uh, and you kind of energy levels come down or is it something different? Yeah, for me, for me, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because uh, I spend a great deal of time in my head going around and playing around and swirling around principles and things and, and challenging all my own beliefs and others and, and just trying to really shake the tree all the time. And what generally happens is I will, I will come up with a thought process that, that, shines a light on on something that i've been maybe considering or something that i've been thinking or something that i've been talking about for many years that brings a completely different angle to it or some reinforcing principles and sometimes i think that even for myself as as somebody that's been on all those podcasts that doesn't get speaking appearances and all of those things i feel that sometimes i can get in a box with my own thoughts in in certain in certain respect, and uh, and and that's why I keep I keep on challenging them and challenging myself to to develop a different way to think about things and to look at it from different angles. All of this stuff, and I spoke I spoke to this extensively before, but I don't think that people would quite understand how much of that I do. And it's 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 essentially I don't waste time doing certain things. If I'm watching something that's inconsequ inconsequential on Netflix, you can rest assured that 90% of that time was spent introspecting. Like I do not shut my brain off for frivolous things because I don't have that kind of time. I don't have that luxury. And so if I want to engage in something because it's it's um it's the sort of synchronicity of the moment with say my better half and we're watching Yellowstone, then I'm fully engaged. But if I'm just there spending my time and, you know, because I'm, I just so happen to be in bed or whatever the case may be, I will be doing something constructive. And that constructive thing is generally going to be spending a lot of time in my head and questioning all the things, all of the things, you know, if for. And so generally I will have an epiphany when my posts are coming out that I have poured my heart into it will be an epiphany and it may not be an epiphany that brings a completely different concept or a completely different angle to something i already knew 
but a better way to articulate it or a better way to to get other people to connect with it a different way to to present it all of those things that's generally what happens for me i like that sean what do you feel on this well i think that the mm, i think what we're talking about generally speaking and loosely speaking is uh, that creative spark within us or our sense of creativity or our sense of thoughtfulness or our sense of contemplation or reflection or our sense of curiosity our sense of thought and so I, I I think that for myself, I'm I'm constantly curious and creative, I suppose. And if I said everything that went through my head in in respect to, oh, that's a new idea, oh, that's a new wisdom, oh, that's a new thing, I'd be talking a lot and I'd be writing a lot, and I'd probably pick up a paintbrush and try to represent it with a paintbrush as well. I I would be constantly putting out content and and i suppose there's therein lies the the rub like if you then make it your job to be a content creator now you're holding yourself accountable to well at 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 any cost i've got to put out content but the cost is yourself and what do i mean by that the cost is that if you're now titled as you've got to put out content well you're going to obligate yourself to do that, which means that your obligation is going to strip away the authentic moment of just, I don't feel like putting anything out today. I don't have a whole pile of ideas today. So then you've got to contrive ideas. Now you've got to artificially put out content, which doesn't really work from ahead. But I don't find that day after day after day, I have absences or blank moments in my days where I don't have thoughts or I don't have novel ideas, or I don't have stuff that uh, I want to put out. I regularly every day have thoughts that I want to share. The only reason that I don't share them is because I feel like, well, who would listen? Who, who would, who would pay attention to any of this? And it's not that I want people to see me. What I want people to do is see it, see the stuff that I'm putting out and then incorporate that into their lives in whatever fashion even if they don't believe some of the things that I think, the very fact that they would take on the challenge of considering, is that real or is that not real? And so um, back to the belief aspect, I don't believe that I've got the position or the authority or the, um, the platform to be able to just casually throw out all of the stuff that goes on in my head. I just don't believe that I have that, um, that platform. And so I don't want it. And that's why it doesn't happen. Uh, but if I really uh, bit down on my mouthpiece and started putting out some of the thoughts that I have in respect to this entire conversation that I could, honestly, I'm sure we all could talk about for another 12 billion years. Um, I think that I hold back on a lot of my stuff because I don't want to put it out there and uh, lead people down the wrong path that would then have them uh, discouraged by some of my ideas. So we talk about frequency. If I spent the rest of my life talking about my thoughts on frequency, it might put some people off. And I don't want to be responsible for that. What I do want to do is just put out a tiny little bit of information 
that might have a curious mind engage in looking down into the rabbit hole and wondering, I wonder how deep this goes. And so I'm comfortable with how far we've dug into frequency on this conversation already, but I don't want to dig into it too more because I don't want to put anyone off on what I'm already thinking about would put people off. Because if I relayed what I've seen or observed that is a bit woo-woo, I don't want to put anyone off. I don't want to spoil their journey. I don't want to spoil their exciting adventure that they can step into in the near future by saying the wrong thing that would make someone shake their head and say, oh, no, that's BS. There's no way that can happen. And so I'm really careful with my content, I think, in respect to what I do believe to be uh, out there in the world versus what a lot of people don't believe is out there in the world. So those two things for me are, are challenging uh, balances on the regular. I really like that. Uh, <clears throat> that's a really great clarification too. And to your point in that, going back to something that we were talking about earlier is that resistance, right? You don't want to, we don't want to start engaging things beyond most people, res most people's resistance factor, right? If we're, most people only have a resistance factor of say like 10 or 15 feet in depth. And we're talking about things that are 50 or 30, 50 or 60 feet down in depth. There's that wall gets hit and they're like, nope, that's just way too far gone. But if you're talking things that are like 15 or 16 feet, just that little bit past where their resistance normally would lie, that gives them a bit more of an opportunity to uh, push their boundaries a little bit. But if it's too, too far, well, then it's, it's not even up for discussion at that point, I think. Well, the trick is that if, if we're talking digitally right now and putting it out to an unknown party in the very near future, how what I will say or how I will deliver is entirely different than if I'm doing it with a person who's standing in front of me. Because now I'm connected with them, whereas I, it's hard to connect with a nameless, faceless person in the near future who will listen to this. I can't connect with them with some synchronicity, but I can do that with a, with a person. I can, can do it with the panel because I can see them. I can, to some degree, feel what's going on with the panel, with myself. But for someone who will listen to this in the future, I'm, it's hard to connect to that because I don't, I can't feel it right now, but I can feel this moment. And so I can also feel a moment where it's a three-dimensional person standing in front of me. And that is a much easier thing to do where you're talking about the resistance is 15 feet versus 16 feet. Well, I'll find a way to make it 15 and a half feet in that moment, boutiquely customized based on the vibe in that moment with a three-dimensional person, which is hard to do on the social media. 100%. Travis, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's interesting. You don't talk about social media, what is real, and there's a deadness to certain things. And I 100% agree. There's a lot of garbage out there, and there's a lot of things that just don't have any feeling or impact, I think was the word that Sean used. It doesn't impact me. Mind you, that's the group that we're talking to. It's like an artist. There's people who, there's a reason why the Mona Lisa affects so many people, and they travel all all over the world from all over the world to go see it because the artist put their heart and soul into a picture. They made a painting and 
it's got a residual effect on those who look at it. The same as music. People can compose a fantastic piece and that's going to be moving for generations to come without them having to be in the same room together. But if it's a Chopin, Chopin or Rachmaninoff or something that appeals to somebody who likes that kind of music, it might not appeal to somebody who's into rap or trip hop. Um, there's going to be different audiences for all of that. So when somebody throws up a platitude on social media behind a uh, black and white picture of, I don't know, some landscape or some colorful uh, sunset, maybe that's going to impact some people, but it's not going to impact you or I, because we're, I guess, going back to where we we're talking before about frequencies, we're operating on a different frequency. And Sean, when I read your posts, and same with you, Seb, when I read your posts, I feel a deep connection through that. But I wonder if part of that is because I read it with your voice and I know a bit about who you are and I can understand the amount of effort that went into those posts. And I wonder if other people just cruise and by, see this thing and, and cruise on. Um, and, and maybe if I were to look at this in a way that might be relatable to people, because I have some thoughts or suppositions, Seb, when you get that inspiration and your heart and soul goes into making a post and you put it out there, do you feel an obligation to respond to those who are uh, responding to it? And in the same breath, if nobody reacts to this thing, are you clicking back? Like what's going on? How come I'm, what do you feel in that, in that moment? The answer is yes and no. I, I, I feel that expecting a certain response on a post regardless of of my cognitive knowledge that my engagement went down on account of the numbers on the screen i don't put too much weight into the reasons why because that's something that i know nothing about and really what was my intent and what am i seeking external validation for like i'm, I'm not worried about that at all in fact uh, you know and, and and that's maybe to a fault at times but i i will say this I would much prefer having, when I post something that's truly meaningful, that's truly impactful, I would much rather shut off the comments. That's my mm -hmm. first incline. I would prefer to shut off the comments, not because I don't want to hear from all the wonderful people and the followers that have been following me for years, which is my primary target audience to begin with, right? Like as you, as you alluded to, the person you know, the person that's been following, all of this good stuff. If you want to know anything about me, go read my, my post before because I'm, I'm actually being me. So, and you'll find very quickly that that's the case. And so I'm not worried about the person that comes in that is a TikTok person that needs 18 seconds to have their attention grabbed. They're just not operating at the level at, at which they're an, a target audience for me. I just don't care. One day in their life, sooner or later, they will come to that point that they may revisit it or they may find somebody like it or they might find somebody they relate better to. Great. That's good. But not not once have I posted something and went back and, and you know anxiously awaited the wave of comments. Quite to the contrary, especially for my latest post, for example, the one that discusses the situation with my leg that, you know, and all of this stuff, medical things and what have you on that post i did not want that post to sound like a pity post because it wasn't a pity party at all it was a process that i try to capture to help people that are inherently going to go through adversity and it's me being honest about how it hit me and how i retaliated and re-engaged 
That's all it was. I don't need to be told how great I am. I don't need to be told how an inspiration I am. I don't need any of this. I much prefer not having any of this. But also, I have to realize that if it elicits a reaction in people, they're allowed to tell me how it made them feel. And I can just shut everybody down and, 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 and you know, just because I don't like it. Because, and to be clear, it's not that I don't like what they are saying. I like what they are saying. I just don't like receiving that kind of praise on a post, for example. Mm. But um, it's, it's, it's never something that I look for. And I do engage with them. Generally, I, I will try to comment back or to say thank you or whatever the case may be, because I also don't take that for granted. What is it that I'm trying to do here? I can't be disingenuous. I have 10,000 followers. If they all stop following me now, it's going to affect me. Like, I don't care what I say. Right. And it's not about the external validation piece. It's going to be like, what the hell happened? Right. And trying mm -hmm. to figure out what I could do better to prevent what it is that I that I that I made happen, uh, so to speak. But I think it's important to to have to have that sort of that spectrum that you're the, the spectrum of acceptability where you're operating you're operating in right i've i've posted the post out it's a post that speaks about something that was very dear to my heart which was my condition and 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 the mental processes associated with it instead of people just looking at me going oh he's just seb he can do whatever it's like no that's not how this works i had to work through all of those things just like anybody else but those are some of the ways that i did that so if i can help you even ever so slightly in your own life, my mission here is done. If that means one person, my mission here is done. If that means 10,000, then even, even better. But there is no weight put into sort of the, the, the reciprocal nature of it, you know, if I can call it that, or for somebody to, to, to let me know necessarily what it did for them. I don't need that kind of attaboys. I don't need that kind of pat on the back. I don't need to know, mm. you know, I, I can feel that. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. 100%. <clears throat> you got any more, Trav, any other thoughts? Uh, not on that. No. Okay. Sean, you got anything to bring up? Yeah. On the comments aspect. I mean, I never used to reply to comments. I didn't need, I didn't know you were supposed to. And I don't know I, now, now I'm looking back and I'm wondering, should I have, I don't know, but. I did start replying back to comments and what I found over a period of time and what I know now today, maybe I'll change my mind in the future is I kind of enjoy replying back to comments because, and I try to make a, a, a consistent effort of, even if it's, even if it's someone saying, thanks for what you do, Sean, which makes me super freaking uncomfortable. I reply back with something along the lines of thank you, pal. So the, it's not that I'm trying to acknowledge them. What I am trying to do is make myself um, not available, but approachable. And so um, I, there was a time when I was in social media where people didn't think I was that approachable because I'd put out what I'd put out and I wouldn't reply to anyone. They'd be hitting me with all the comments and I'd just totally ignore them and carry on with my day. That's not making me very approachable or at least on the surface level, it would appear that I'm not an approachable guy, but I'm an approachable guy as long as you do it the right way. Um, I'm approachable, but it I just I I wasn't doing social media well, so it looked like I wasn't approachable. Well, now because I'm trying to make myself more approachable for others to hit me up on the regular, it's now a thing. People hit me up on the regular, 
And uh, funnily enough, I'd said that uh, just towards the end of the year, in the last couple of uh, days of the year, I'd said in my live IG chats that, you know what I think uh, 2024 should be? The year of the collab. 2024, not the year of the tiger, it's the year of the collab. And so um, I, I think that's generally, I don't make New Year's Eve resolutions or I don't actually believe in them, but I do believe in general themes. Themes, uh, a general goal, a general event sometime in my future that I like to kind of throw in front of myself and think, right, this year's a collab year, whatever that means. And I don't even know what it means yet, but I'll figure it out over the next few weeks. And by the end of this year, by the end of 2024, I'll have freaking cracked collabing out of the park, whatever that means. I don't know yet, but I'll freaking figure it out. So a general theme for me, 2024, is it's time to start working, playing, hanging out with more people who are trying to do things well, who are trying to do social media well. And that'll have me talking with people that I wouldn't have considered talking with last year. And that's because in 2023, I was still trying to get my feet underneath me. I was still trying to figure out how to do social media properly. I was still trying to figure out the microphone. I was still trying to figure out how to communicate well. And so now that I got my feet underneath me, I'm happy to collab with anyone, maybe even people I don't like. Because if I don't like them, there's a chance that I've got something to learn in that moment where by the end of it, I'll be liking them. But that's for me to figure out as the challenge. And so I don't care who I collab with this year, as long as they're not like a total goof. It's got to be someone who has some semblance of coolness within them. Maybe not as much cool as I would like, but they've probably got more cool in them than me. And so these are the things that I want to learn in 2024 is how to collab more. And so um, now that that's out of the way, I want to jump into the Mona Lisa thing because um, like last summer, I was standing in the Louvre with my family with the Mona Lisa right there. And uh, it's not that we went to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa. We went to the Louvre to see the Louvre and all of the magnificent art in it. And some of the photos that I took and some of the things that I said from the Louvre were pretty good, were pretty impactful. But I do remember chirping about the Mona Lisa, and here was my experience with it. Like, you could see it on almost the horizon through the crowds, the masses that I was on the perimeter of, thinking there's no way I'm going to wade through that crowd to just get another inch closer to the Mona Lisa. Because that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to like be irritated with a massive noisy crowd so that I can just get a little closer to a thing that isn't going to improve the moment for me. I don't need to reach out and barely touch the Mona Lisa to have seen it. I just needed to be in the space near it to see what I felt because I've seen it a thousand times on a thousand posters or a thousand movies or a thousand books or a thousand whatevers. I've seen it lots. I didn't need to touch it to make it real. I just needed to be near it to feel, feel the vibe on it. And so if I would have forged my way up closer through that crowd, the vibe would have been wrong for me. I could feel my irritation as I considered moving closer into that crowd. And why would I ruin the Mona Lisa vibe by adding irritation into my life 
consciously choosing to do that just to get a half an inch closer to something that I've seen so many times and I was just there for the vibe of it. So I think, you know, talking about collab in 2024 and combining it with the Mona Lisa, this year for me is going to be about um, not having to reach out and touch all of the paintings that are out there, but standing where I am right now and projecting out into the social media space and feeling all of the Mona Lisa's that are already out there that I want to talk to or hang out with and uh, not worrying too much about what the crowd is doing or not. <clears throat> I'm going to postulate something here and I just want to see if you guys are tracking me on this. And I think it, it's a case of resonance. And I think that's what we were talking about earlier. Seb, you asked me to look it up as to how tuning forks will work off each other. And that's, it's, it's resonance. So there's, you know, as we all know, the frequencies and all that stuff, I'm not going to get into it, but the moment for you, Sean, standing at, in front of the Mona Lisa, in front of the, like behind the crowd and the, the tape and the 16 feet or whatever it is until the wall. And you're looking at this little picture that's about this big to, to resonate in that moment, to have it resonate with you, you're able to tune into that resonance a lot better than most people can. Whereas the average person that walks into the Louvre that wants to go see the Mona Lisa, it's a checkbox. It has nothing to do with resonance, right? It's, I've seen the Mona Lisa. I was there. I'm going to go take a picture from the, the felt barrier and see if I can get a little bit closer, right? It's more of a, um, it's, it's more of an accomplishment than it is the feeling of the moment to resonate in that moment. And similar with the collabs, what, what you're seeking is a resonance, is a, how do, how can I get this, you know, what the collective is and what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to create, how do I, how do I get others to resonate with it? Well, the easiest way is when you, if you have a tuning fork and you have another tuning fork out there and you ding and you're too far away, that resonance isn't going to take effect. So you have to get closer to it and you got to get closer to it until you can hit that resonance field and create more, uh, create more energy based on that. <clears throat> and so I think this is what I think, you know, this whole chat has kind of been about is this resonance field that we all have that we're all trying to tap into that we're all trying to engage with and how to get others on the same wavelength, how to get others into this resonance. What do you guys think? Am I on base or am I off base? Trav, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? I'd, I'd say you're on base. I mean, the people who are listening to this are going to be people who are resonating on the frequency already. They're going to be, as I say, in the echo chamber or preaching to the choir. I think part of the idea of the collective is to attract like-minded people, people who want to be awesome, who want to work on the daily to be better and realize that can be big steps. Those can be little steps that they're always recalibrating and moving into a direction that's going to be desirable. I, there are things that are going to come out of this podcast here, like for example, the collab thing. I know right now I can say with a hundred percent certainty that there are going to be some collabs that come out of just Sean putting that out there into the universe. And there's one in particular that I can think of with a massively individual, cool individual who's got a really cool business who I think is going to be hundred percent down for doing a collab, uh, which I'm going to be doing an introduction to immediately following this podcast here. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say that there is a certain level of resonance. And I think that with the new direction that the collective is looking to move into 2024 and beyond, 
I think there needs to be a certain level of social license with those who are part of the collective. And those to be part of the collective, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily mean they have to speak on the collective. They can follow the collective. They can just listen and apply what they're hearing to their own morals, to their own daily life, uh, to go out there and uh, help promote what the collective is trying to do. Because as we resonate with others, there's going to be some that are maybe... We have more than one tuning fork. Sean already identified he's got a Mona Lisa tuning fork and a, cl- a crowd tuning fork, which I can uh, relate to very, very closely. I don't want my crowd tuning fork going off. Uh, and I specifically spent a lot of time in the outdoors because of that. But with these multiple forks that are resonating on different frequency, there's going to be those who are listening to this now that have some that are slightly off frequency to what we're talking about, but they'll resonate with other people. They'll be able to take what we're talking about and propel it that much further. Just like Isaac Newton said, the reason I can see as far as I can is because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Not that we're giants, but I think all together with everybody moving in the same direction, we can create essentially a resonant frequency that we'll be able to see further. Yeah. I, uh, just to say, I think you and I are giants compared to uh, these two here. But <laughs> that's, that's, that's a sign. That's a sign. How tall are you? <laughs> I, well, I'm six five and a half. There you go. We're six, about the same height. Dates, so yeah. Uh, Seb, you got any thoughts on this? First time I went recorded a podcast with Travis, and he opened the door. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not small, dude. Yeah. Anyways, it was pretty shocking. I was like, well, we're stuck in here together. If if I have to fight him off, I should, maybe I should bring a friend. But um, but yeah, no, it went well, and uh, and we uh, develop a friendship. I am I'm very uh, grateful for. But um, one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about is the need for proximity. This is one of my pet peeve. It's almost like if you look at kids, and kids will do that implicitly. Adults will do will do it too. I must physically touch the thing. If it's interesting to me, like if it's a butterfly, I must, I must technically reach out and touch his wings, taking a little bit of that, you know, powder off their wings and now potentially interfering with their life. And so this is something I try to, this is a a conversation I have with the kids all the time, like love things from a bit of a distance and learn to appreciate them from a distance, learn to appreciate their space and hold and let them hold their space it's not because you can touch a butterfly that you should and 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 that you know when you were talking about people going to the mona lisa i think most people can't feel things unless they're so close to it that it's right there you know because that's the only time that they allow themselves to feel because there's so many distractions between the mona lisa and the lineup that they don't dial in the moment and some people are easily distracted they just simply cannot focus on a single item and shut the world around them and go straight to it and and draw from that item the vibe that they are seeking and so i think that for them it becomes a a sort of a, a an instinctual pattern to try to move as close as possible because it, it actually increases a comfort level whereas if you're capable of sort of zeroing in and really feel you know feel the vibe and 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 get what you need from that environment not just the item itself because the mona lisa by itself is just the mona lisa but you're in the louvre 
you know, like a, an amazing place and you're in France and another amazing place and you have all of those things and it's kind of like being in a Russian doll, so to speak, you know, you have all these layers of, 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 of magnificence that you are tapping into, not just that simple moment of I approach this so I could take a selfie with it, which is completely, in my opinion, negating and taking the moment away. So I'll give you an example of this for me. And, and, and this is just a personal story that I, that I like to share from time to time. But many, many years ago, I was fortunate enough to travel to Jerusalem. And, you know, there's a lot of historical facts in Jerusalem. There's a lot of religious facts in, in, in Jerusalem. And whatever, whatever side of my beliefs are really doesn't matter. What I understood that place to be is very important for some people that waited a lifetime on pilgrimage to go visit that place. I would not get close to certain things because that to me wasn't needed, but also it took space away from somebody that truly needed to be in close proximity to it. And it also, to a certain extent, disrespected the whole deal. You know, I didn't pay to be here. I'm here because of work. Now I get to be here, fortunate enough. Now I'm going to move there, go to the, the the stone table where where allegedly, you know, Christ was laid to rest. And I'm going to touch it and just walk away. Yeah, take a selfie. You know, how disrespectful is that? And so whether or not this all happened, whatever is inconsequential, the fact is I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't have anything to gain from that, but I did gain a ton from being in the environment. I get, I did gain a ton from being in Jerusalem, which is one of the oldest cities in the world. I've been gained a lot from the people around all of those things. And so this is kind of where we need to self-regulate to a certain extent, but it takes, it takes some practice and, and you need to have to, you need to be able to synchronize in the moment and you need to be able to, 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 to draw upon those vibes in the moment. And so start doing it with micro things and eventually do it, do it with macro things and, and, and go out and, and practice. And the more you do it, the more, the better you will be at doing that. I like it. Sean, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that um, a good skill to have is be able to go from the macro to the micro back to the macro. I think that it's a good skill to be able to adjust your radar to a tight in view and to a really wide view. So as Seb was talking about uh, Jerusalem, I was picturing myself, I I've, I've been there. I was picturing myself walking on my way to the Wailing Wall, which is like a micro moment where you will identify it as I've got to go there. I've got to see that that's a thing that needs to be done. And so that is the micro. But on my way there, if I hadn't have expanded my radar to the macro, I would have totally missed walking through the tight alleys with all the colors, all the scents, the incense smoke actually drifting across in front of me as the light comes down from that oblique angle later in the day. And I can see all of the things that can be seen. In fact, that alley as I was walking through it almost was more magnificent than the Wailing Wall. And that's only because I was macro and micro in accordance with what I needed to do in that moment. If all I would have done is have my nose, well, at the time that I was there, there was no Google Maps. But if I had have had my nose in Google Maps and that's it, that's all, I would have missed Jerusalem. I would have stood in front of a wall. I would have stood in front of where Christ was uh, resurrected. I would have stood in like 10 spots and Jerusalem wouldn't have been Jerusalem. It would have just been 10 spots. 
but I wouldn't understand the vibe of the city. I wouldn't understand the vibe of the back alleys. I wouldn't under wouldn't have understood the guy who was sitting on the three-legged stool lighting another piece of incense. I wouldn't have understood any of that. It would have I'd have been oblivious to it if all I had was 10 spots in mind and I've got to go check the box on all of them. So the macro and the micro, back to the macro again, shifting your radar phase, I think is really important. Seb had mentioned the butterfly thing, reaching out and touching a butterfly, taking off some of the pollen or, or some of the coloring off its wing. I, as a kid, I was taught that if you do that, it hurts the butterfly and that it damages its ability to fly or not. I've never really looked into it to see if that's true or not, but that's what I was taught as a kid. And so therefore, I try not to do a whole bunch of touching on butterfly wings. But as you were telling that story, it brought to mind, uh, I was in the middle of the Tunisian desert, way, way down south, out middle of Nowheresville, uh, went out there by camel. Camels are down in a little bit of a lower gully, and I'm standing up on a desert ridge, looking out into the middle of the desert, and all it was was sand dune after sand dune after sand dune. As far as the eye could see, it was dunes. And so um, I was standing up next to someone, and uh, they were about, I don't know, just a, a foot or two away from me. And off on the horizon, I saw this butterfly, and I didn't know it was a butterfly. I just saw a motion right away. I target locked on it, trying to figure out what it was. It's so tiny that I couldn't determine what it was until it was real close to us. So the macro of the desert disappeared to the micro of the moment as I tried to figure out what is that. And not too far away from me, I realized, oh, it's a butterfly. What the heck? that butterflies flying right towards us in this massive desert, a humongous expanse of nothingness. And that butterfly flew right past my eyeball, just between myself and the other person and kept on flapping. I looked, I, I tracked it fly past us. And all I could think was on this entire desert of this expanse of nothingness, how did that, why did that, what the heck, that butterfly, what, it could have gone anywhere. It, I shouldn't have been able to see that butterfly because it should have been off doing its butterfly thing. But there it was all by itself, flying directly past my Mark I eyeball and continuing on as if it was a non-thing. And yet for me, it became a thing that I've never forgotten because... That butterfly, why was it there all by itself, flapping right past my head? Like a magnificent moment that I've never been able to forget. And so the macro to the micro, back to the macro. I've never forgotten that moment. I've never stopped thinking about that moment. And so the little moment of that butterfly became a big moment in my life because I've never stopped considering the, the beauty of it, the, the randomness of it, the impactfulness of it, the meaning of it. And so a single butterfly can be richer than a novel. It can be more impactful than a movie. It can be lots of things depending on how you view the macro and the micro. Yeah, the... Uh... <laughs> That's a great, beautiful story, too. Um, <clears throat> and it brings up a, a really good point. We don't have a ton of time to carry on this, but, uh, you know, when I was young, living out in the country, one of the first things I got told about the animals was, you know, if you see a, a baby bird that's fallen out of the nest, you don't touch it. 
because the mother won't reassimilate it because you have too much sense on it. I know that's not true by any means now, but what it taught us at a young age was don't interfere with the process. Allow nature to take its place. And especially out in the country, nature has its own process. You just have to allow things to happen in and of itself. And I think that's a, it's a great, um, it's a great place to kind of wrap up this conversation in terms of being able to be present in the moment enough to a feel the process, what's happening around you. What is, what is the natural order of the world in this moment, but then also to be able to manipulate some of the energies in that place to take you where you want to go in that moment. And I think that that is a, uh, <laughs> it's a practice skill and you have to be able to, like you said, micro, macro, micro, macro, and be able to play with the zoom button of your own, <laughs> your own consciousness and be able to see like, where do, where do I need to look in this moment? And then utilize that skill set on a regular basis. Um, any final thoughts on that or anything else that we've talked about today it's been a fantastic conversation we're two and a oh, two and a quarter hours in this has been awesome trev start with you anything uh anything at all yeah i i think what is the macro other than an accumulation of micros and being able to take a step back look at all of those micros in a larger picture and get yourself a little bit of perspective, I think is an important piece, but never forget that it's all those little steps, all those little things that make us who we are, that make our experiences what they are. And when people say, well, whatever it is that we've been talking about or that they see somewhere else, it doesn't work. I tried it. I read a self-help book and it was, felt great for a bit and then they, you know, kind of wore off. Well, you need an accumulation of those micros. It's kind of like, having a shower you need to do that on a regular basis if you don't want to stink you got to make sure you're putting the work and effort into yourself on the daily in a micro way which will end up making a macro and if we're going to experience things around us realize if we're having a difficult time taking it all in start small gradually move yourself a little bit bigger and i guess a question that doesn't need to be answered would be was that butterfly put there? Was there a reason that butterfly was there for Sean? Or was there a reason that Sean interpreted that butterfly in the way that he did? It doesn't really matter. The end result's going to be the same. 100%. Seb, any final thoughts? Yeah, just quickly go back to something you said there. You know, take it where you want to go. I, I never do that. I, I let it take me where it ought to go. So my mind is open but I'm not guiding this. I'm not guiding this journey as far as the feeling that, that will be associated with a vibe, a certain vibe, because otherwise it's almost like bringing cognitive bias into the process. Like if I have, you know, historical knowledge of those things, then I'm going to be crafting my own path. I don't want that. I want it to challenge me in a way, whether for good or bad, but I want it, I want to feel different. I want it to be external. And so dialing in in the moment is, is what, is what happens is what happens is me trying to connect with the moment with the vibe and where it brings me and so to to travis's point here what i would say is this start questioning why the things in your life are impactful when you experience something impactful instead of going oh that was amazing 
really tell me more about that break it down for me like pieces to pieces and you will be you will start and and flow on a on a piece of paper if you have to write everything about that moment that made that moment special and you're gonna you're gonna surprise yourself on how much more there is on that sheet that you can come up with in the moment and now what you are doing is effectively recognizing all of the micro moments within that moment imagine how powerful that is and imagine how it allows for a certain patternizing of things and how you might be able to replicate and how you might be able to seek and how you might be able to pay attention more i think that we oversimplify everything to keep it manageable for us but take the time this is a simple exercise i love this why tell me more love it sean any final thoughts yeah um i think going back to that butterfly moment uh, as an example of a micro within a macro you know, immediately after that butterfly um, continued on its way, and I thought all of the thoughts that I thought, which I've been thinking about for 20 years, and or just over 20 years. And, uh, you know, every time I think about it, I think about it in a different way. And so I have just a deep body of contemplation on a single butterfly. And so that is a way that you can run your life. It doesn't matter whether it was a butterfly or whether it was a moment on a plane where the plane went a little sideways, perhaps, and you had a moment where you thought, man, I got to change my life. I, I, I almost died there. I felt like we almost died. I got to change my life. Like when you start thinking these kind of things, when something impacts, when something gets in your mind's eye, when that occurs, it's time to like, not just let it slip by like a, that butterfly. You've got to hang on to that moment for decades, perhaps to use as a guiding source to keep doing life a little bit better. Again, 20 years of thinking about that butterfly, I could have wiped all of that clean. I could have not had that, uh, contemplation moment. If I would have simply done this, cool, butterfly, wonder what it was doing out here. Anyway, the twar the individual that I'm uh, hanging out here with, the bread is ready. We've got to go dig it out of the sand and brush off the uh, sand and char and the chow down for uh, some evening uh, food. I could have, that could have been the end of the day. And I'd never have thought about that butterfly for another second. And I'd be poorer for it. And so all of the simple things in life that, are impactful in our life are easy to forget about if we don't spend another second con contemplating them. So, you know, I could write a book about that butterfly easily based on all the thought that I've put into it, but I never have because there's so many other thoughts in front of our noses that we can engage in, in today, in the near future, every, every day that we're given is another book that we can write in our minds if we if we dig into it if we if we observe it rich enough if we engage in it to a degree or to a level where the book writes itself in that day the chapter after chapter after chapter every hour is a chapter if you sink into the moment deep enough 
but I don't think a lot of us do. I know I don't uh, often enough. And I think it's distractions that cause that. I think it's the white noise of our modern society. I think it's easy to forget that every day is a book if you want to write that book. Every hour is a chapter if you want to write that chapter. But it's for us to kind of pick up the mindfulness pen and pay attention to the pen in our hand that's called our life and start writing a little bit deeper and richer. I could not agree more. The uh, The medium doesn't matter either. It could be writing a book, could be taking a photo with your mind, could be, you know, filming a video. Uh, the, the interesting part, as you were talking about the fact that you could write, you know, novel upon novel, book upon book of what you were talking about. Uh, when I really tune into the moments, I feel like I'm creating them like I'm behind a director's uh, screen. Like, so I, I picture that how this would be a movie and I start to think about, you know, the lighting and how the camera would move and how I would capture this in terms of, um, in terms of a movie role. But I, I do love the fact that it, it really, at the end of the day, everything that we do, it's, it's a choice. It's our choice. It's your choice. It is, it is whether or not we want to engage in the world. That's up to us. Whether or not we want to learn about frequencies, that's up to us. Whether or not we want to dive deeper into a moment like that butterfly, it is up to us. And it is solely up to us, no one else. So I really do appreciate the conversation, guys. This has been absolutely fantastic. Um, to all those that are watching, I would ask this. What are your thoughts? What uh, Put them down in the comments, engage us, and we will engage you as that's what we're choosing to do. So I don't have a whole lot to say. I'm not going to end with the same thing we did last year because it's a totally new realm. So thank you guys very much for the conversation. We'll see you next time. Have a good night.